five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh from the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. Let's start with something kind of silly here. Um, there we go. If a plant can taste like meat, you can say hi to someone you went to high school with. Hi, Janice. Hi. Alpha, a different kind of delicious. Okay, so this is a company that makes uh, fake meat, and my, you know, I eat some of that stuff, Impossible Burgers and stuff, Impossible Tacos, because as an Orthodox Christian, we are um, vegan most, not most of the year, but almost half the year, and uh, so, you know, you get by with it, but, uh, you know, it's still very, very processed foods, maybe more, probably way more than meat, um, so a caution on that one. <laughs> I wouldn't eat too much of it, and that's kind of what they say on their website, is don't eat it all the time, but maybe every now and then uh, when you get this, when you need a burger or something like that. Uh, and now let's go over to the real news, if we can find it. <clears throat> really, I ran across this really nice little um, guide to social media for small business. And, you know, the problem with it is it leaves out direct mail completely, but it does kind of give you... A, overview of social media um for example you know it's like what you might say about an ice about ice cream and uh, if you're if you're posting on facebook it's i like ice cream sandwiches you know just what are you up to now um if you're on twitter it might be i'm eating an ice cream sandwich hashtag ice cream sandwich at the ice cream shop uh the at sign to to call out the ice cream shop on LinkedIn, I'm the CEO of Ice Cream Sandwiches, Inc. Well, if you are, not if you're not. <laughs> Instagram, here's a photo of my favorite ice cream sandwich shop. Uh, YouTube, here's my behind-the-scenes ice cream factory tour. Or Pinterest, the 10 best ice cream sandwich recipes. Now, I have to say, I am on Facebook mm, most days for a little while. I try to close it so it's not spying on me the whole time, although I think it is anyway. I don't use the Facebook app generally. Um, Instagram, I get on and talk to a few of the sailing channels that I watch on YouTube. I watch YouTube, uh, I watch farming videos and sailing videos. Um, not a lot of business, but my, my show is up there every day. So if you want to, if you want to check it out over there, I also, if I botch up the recording, I do edit it. And so YouTube is a little better. <clears throat> Twitter, I use to DM some people that, that follow me, um, I wrote Scott Adams, as I said I might, uh, and asked him what Christina thought of the of the uh, millions and millions of fake followers on Instagram. He said hers are all genuine, and I believe that. I, well, I mean, as far as she's concerned, they are. They, you know, that doesn't mean they all are, because Instagram's full of fake bots. As I said, you know, I was real, but I didn't follow 9,000 people that it, it had me do when my account was hacked. Uh, LinkedIn, I've been on since 2003. I would say I can, I'm just starting to really understand LinkedIn a little bit. And um, that's my first take on social media. Don't be posting ads on places you're just not familiar with because there's a sort of a culture to each, uh, to each different social media platform. Which channel should you start with? The one that you're on the most, the one that you're most familiar with. Uh, for example, Pinterest, <clears throat> I'm not on Pinterest much at all. I got an account right away. I do that. You know, I got an account on Twitter right away when it came out. Uh, so, um, you know, get help. Get <laughs> If you're not on the channel, you know, 
work with your style consultant or someone that is. And But this social media playbook is 17 pages, and it's a nice start if you're not uh, really up on social media. I'll put it up on the WDMA show notes today, and if you subscribe to WDMA.org, just go over there and hit join, and uh, you can subscribe for free. <clears throat> I don't always say that every day, but that's the case. And you get access to the show notes every day. I put my articles up there all marked up. And so like today, we'll mark this one up and that will be in there and you can verify that I did it. That's how it works. Okay, let's get over to uh, Ellen uh, up in Minnesota. Ellen Coleman sent this to me and said, duh, <laughs> anybody in direct mail would know this right away. Uh, it says, and, and what I thought was interesting right off the bat was the title, Poorly Performing Email Creatives. Well, creatives to me is the people that write the email, not the creative content. But anyway, poorly performing email creatives, maybe they should be fired. <laughs> anyway, they might not be it might not be bad content. Okay, and here's why. And basically, James Glover says, and he has an email company that does segmentation. <clears throat> There's a constant trial and error process. And the way it works in, as I understand it, and I'm not an email expert, uh, but it makes them reaction-based rather than predictive. And the reason seems to be that uh, we send an email to customers, analyze the performance, rinse and repeat, use the results to help get better at sending the right content in the future. What's the problem with that? You know, it's like asking is the golfer that shoots 73 better than the golfer that shoots 85? I asked my golf client this, and he said, well, it depends. I said, right. My best round ever was a 73, and Jack Nicklaus's worst PGA tournament, he shot an 85. Am I better than Jack Nicklaus? No. My friend said, well, yeah, you got to play the same course on the same day. you got to go head-to-head. I said, I know. That's the part that's missing in most digital testing, right? Where's the control? So send your best email to some of the people and your new email to some of the people. And then you get an incremental lift or decline based on something. At least you have a control. It doesn't make it foolproof, but at least it gives you a starting point, right? And if you want to know if your creative is actually having impact, send something to no, send nothing to some someone. <laughs> That's called the holdout test, and see what their performance would be on its own, with just the cloud of your digital ads and the cloud of your of your wonderful website, and maybe you do some mailings and all of that. All of that is background noise in the test because it's to the same basic audience to the same day. Now, James makes the point that maybe, and here it is down here, and again, get the marked up version. He says, maybe if you were, if you were highlighting children's clothing, um, here he's got the overall performance is a 1.0, which is, makes sense. Uh, but to people that have bought infant wear in the past or children's wear in the past, it was 143 and 130. Whereas to women generally it was 77 and to men it was, I think that's kind of odd. I think this should have been, I, I think he just made up these numbers. But anyway, it should, and, and the 
and the average should have been 1.0, I think, but it's 1.6. Don't ask me how that happened. Uh, but the women, the women pulled 77% and the men 95%, which I doubt that would ever happen. So I'm guessing these are made up numbers. But what he said was that maybe the message should have been tailored and segmented, and that could be the case. Now, when we do machine learning in cataloging, we have, for some clients, up to 500 variables. The problem with this analysis, this is great analysis after the fact, but what you really want to know is what would have happened had we mailed it according to other variables? What about age? Maybe age alone was enough. Maybe our customers that are under 40 are going to do better, male and female, with children's wear, maybe, right? Or maybe, as was the case with uh, American Girl dolls, maybe over 65 would do the best because that's the grandparents, especially if you, you're, you're offering expensive, you know, maybe period uh, dresses for little girls or something like that. The grandmas will go for that. Maybe even the grandpas will. And uh, but the parents are like, oh, man, I'd never spend that much for a for, a, you know, a party dress. OK, the, 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 the trouble is you don't know which variables are going to have the most impact. And so rather than try to decide ahead of time what variables matter, what we do is look at the historical and we have 500 variables and we can choose from those. And it's a much more effective. It's sort of like testing on steroids. But it also gives us essentially control variables where we can look at the people who were were given the offer and uh, and didn't fit that cohort. Okay. So anyway, it's a, it's a well it's a well done article. Well done, James. But the but the bottom line is you need a control. You need to set it up like a drug test, right? Like a field valid, gold standard pharmaceutical test. That's the way it needs to be. <clears throat> okay. And add it says it's time to measure return on creativity. ROC. ROC, return on not investment, but on creativity. And again, same idea. He says, measurement, we tend to be, measure and be hypergranular. I tried to find a definition of hypergranular and I could not find it. The best I could find was a little, in parentheses, unaccountable. Uh, particularly true in digital media, unaccountable evaluation and test and learn cycles. Again, you're playing different golfers on different courses on different days and trying to draw conclusions. And there are some conclusions that could be drawn from that over a body of work. You know, over enough tests, you could figure out that, yes, in fact, Jack Nicholas is better than me. Right. That's, that is the possibility. Or you could maybe create a variable for the courses and say he's playing on, on PGA Tour setup courses and I'm playing on little executive courses. And so we could factor that into the analysis. And we can do that in machine, machine learning. We can, we can generate lots of variables to factor those things in. <clears throat> but um, he says, if you can measure the path, you can understand the drivers. It's not quite so simple. You really need to be thinking in terms of, keep it simple. Let's know something for sure. Let's know something real, something really real. <clears throat> And that will give us a quantified differential between the control and the variable that you changed. And the rest 
because it's same day, same audience or same segment will be a controlled experiment like the golfers on the same course in the same climate on the same day, right? But he says up to 70% of the performance of a campaign can be attributed to the creative used. <clears throat> I've never seen it be that much. I've seen 40%, um, you know, in really valid testing. I don't know how you quantify that <clears throat> if you don't have a control. How do you know? You say, well, this one did 70% better than that one on a different day, maybe to different audience, as James pointed out. You can't draw those conclusions. But anyway, it's it's so obvious to a direct marketer. You just want to scream. In fact, I was going to recommend maybe that you go get, this is a huge book. I can probably, if you call me up, you can I can probably find you a simpler book. But this is the direct marketing book. This is the one that tells you how it's done in detail. So, you know, I have smaller books. I have a lot of books. Um, you might want to start th with this one, which is about turning data into money. And it's not as easy as everybody thinks. But these things are painfully obvious, as Ellen was kind of mentioning. Okay. And so, and here we go. Yeah. Can math inform creativity? You can build a thousand variables and then test creative elements. You know, the more segmented you get, that's what I would say to James. You know, he says, well, maybe that offer didn't go to the right person. You know, if you're going to go to the right person, you need to go door to door. Those days are mostly done. You know, the door-to-door -door salesman can test offers, can test closes, can test the reaction of the prospect and vary his pitch to that person. And that works. But in marketing, we're generally looking at trying to sell more than one person at a time. That's the fallacy of one-to-one -one marketing. We're not looking for an offer that works for one person. We're looking for some place where those things cross, where we can find a segment that we can offer something that, that resonates with them. We're looking for a significant enough segment that it's worth the creative effort to build a, an offer tailored to them. Does that make sense? Right. So we don't really want to look, at, look for that one person. Say, well, this would have been a great email if we would have just sent it to that person that, that did order. Now, that's circular. It doesn't work. It's not predictive, as James pointed out in the beginning. So uh, the other good point here is that testing should be an always-on activity and not a luxury. The first thing I learned, the first day I went to work with Vic Hunter was always test something. And by that, he didn't mean try something new this time. He meant isolated causal variables. Now let's get over to this one from Michael Plummer. Uh, why direct mail still works in a digital world. And this was from Forbes, which was great. You know, it's always great to see Forbes talking about mail. It says basically that mail is newer than you might think. Americans are looking for experiences and direct marketing continues to deliver a tangible alternative for people who are in digital overload and and what's good about this is Michael Michael is the head of a company that does um, new mover packages 
and so when you move into a new town, it's got a, you know, it's got a flyer or it's got a, it's like a val pack, but it's got an offer from the local dentist or the local doctor clinic or chiropractor. It's got something maybe from the local pharmacy or something from the, from the uh, village library. <clears throat> you know, I'm not a new mover. I haven't moved in 33 years, but um, direct marketing can send a message that stands out and engages customers by offering an offline sensory experience in our digital world, right? And um, very effective. Uh, then he talks about some of the obstacles for getting into direct mail marketing. Frequency, how often do you mail? You know, I've talked about this before, but Jack Miller, I was in an, a, on a private company meeting one day, and Jack was talking about how what really made Quill take off, Jack was the founder of Quill Corporation, he said in the 70s, inflation was going crazy, 20% inflation. And so all of our, we would produce a catalog once a year and all of our prices were obsolete, you know, and were 20% lower than, than the rate of inflation by the end of the year. We were just getting killed on our margin. So we decided to put out flyers instead, smaller catalogs that we mailed monthly with up-to-date prices, you know, with just a, a month price guarantee and not a price guarantee on the on the on the annual and we thought people would get very annoyed with us and what we found was that it changed the game entirely for us people started thinking of us as their regular supplier for office supplies rather than thinking of us as a last resort when they couldn't find it locally and that was what really launched their business so you know if in doubt <clears throat> probably try mailing more that's probably a generally a good solution. And I was talking with with uh, Joe Sita just the other day because I mentioned I didn't mention him by name, but anyway, Joe's still around. And uh, Joe used to have a jewelry company that also uh, connected their jewelry with with a sweepstakes offer. And at one point, when I was working with them a little bit, they were mailing customers. I think more than I think more than 52 times a year, more like 75 times a year. They would their very best customers might get two mailings in a week. And uh, anyway, whether that's good or bad, I'm not sure. Um, you know, several states basically shut it down, saying he was taking advantage of people that didn't understand his offer. Not sure that's true, but. You know, he had a bit, it wasn't, it wasn't the, that the business failed. It was that, that, you know, state attorney general shut him down and it got too expensive to fight. Up-to-date lists, always a challenge. Again, the list business is an art in itself. Um, you want to maybe talk to somebody who knows the list business. I always use list brokers. It's a cheap insurance to know what's going on behind the data card, as they say. Now, whether you know this or not, I've been a marketing consultant for 40 years, coming up in September. It'll be my 40th anniversary. And if you want to stick your toe in this, I'd welcome a call. I want to encourage you to give me a call. Uh, I won't send you a bill right away. We'll talk first. Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Go over to the WDMA.org and subscribe. And the member information will be there with all of these marked up articles every day. Have a great day. Bye-bye.